Will you maybe this morning indulge my warped way of illustrating the sermon? Uh, I want you to do something. This side first. I want you to stand up for me, would you please? I want you to face this side over here. I want you to point your finger at them and say, You are crazy. Thank you very much. I want this side over here to stand up, please. Face this side over here. Point your finger at them and say, You stink. You can be seated. Okay. Do you know this is how Congress works? <laughs> By the way, you're the right and you're the left. <laughs> Isn't it sad? Uh, there's a lot of this that's been going on for a long time. This is America. Uh, we've got the freedom to do that kind of thing. But I'm getting a little tired of it. Um, mainly from the standpoint it's getting a little vicious. It, it's getting a whole lot vicious. Oklahoma's Senator Tom Coburn, I don't care where you fall on the political spectrum, but he's very conservative in the sense that I've always wondered where those terms come from, conservative and liberal. Anybody to the left of me is liberal, and anybody to the right of me is conservative, right? But where am I standing? That's the whole issue. But Senator Tom Coburn did something radical. He's regarded as an ultra-conservative. Uh, he represents, uh, he's a senator from the state of Oklahoma. And... Uh, he had a recent town hall meeting in his home state, and uh, he was praising Democratic Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Now, this is Tom Coburn. You won't find anybody any farther different on their political spectrum. Tom Coburn said, you know, Nancy Pelosi and I are probably about as opposite as you can get in the political arena. And then he went on to say, but Nancy Pelosi is a nice lady. You can't imagine the booze that came from those listening to him. He said, seriously, folks, have any of you ever met Nancy Pelosi? She is one nice lady. He went on, because he wasn't done with it yet. Uh, he moved on to say some non-disparaging things about health care reform. Now, you may think I'm going to do a political sermon this morning. I'm not, okay? Well, let's rest that one, all right? When a questioner suggested that the government might throw people in jail for buying insurance as mandated by law, Coburn scoffed. He said, let me tell you something, that may make good TV news, but that isn't the intention of that bill. 
I don't care whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, or say, I'll never vote again. There is something wrong when we hate people because of positions taken. There's something wrong in our world when we can get such animosity and such hatred and such bitterness over issues. I don't care what they are. He went on to say, the people in Washington are good. May I encourage you to do something? Let's be careful of what we say about political figures who serve in the political arena. We will get to the place in this country that no one wants to serve. And I really believe, regardless of positions taken, whether I agree with them or disagree with them, I believe people's intentions are good. Now, we can disagree with programs, and we can cast our ballot, and we can vote against them, but let's be careful of character assassination in what we say. You know, there are things that get wrapped up so much in this whole issue of hatred. You know, Almagene has something to look forward to. Now, that's a matter of debate. Uh, in my mother's genes, if they're in my blood, uh, I might live a long time. <laughs> now, Almagene may not know whether that's so good or not. My mother will be 88 years old in October. My mother had to do that drastic thing recently. She had to find a new doctor. She goes into this nice young doctor that's new, and she sits down, and you know how they hand you the forms to fill out? Now, you fill this out, and you had to write down, uh, you know, your age. And she didn't mind. She's proud of it, uh, her age. She wrote it down. Then she wrote, then you, you know how you have to put down your siblings, their age, and their health? Well, she wrote down, RM, brother, 96. Alma, sister, 94. Lorraine, sister, 86. Winnie, sister, 83. All in good health. So she goes into the doctor, and the doctor's sitting there looking at that form, and she says, My stars, I wish I had your genes in my blood. <laughs> I have a lot of forgiveness to beg. Do you ever have that in your marriage? You know, in our marriage, we have discussions. We don't have arguments. We have discussions. Now, our discussions are a little serious sometimes. Uh, I'm sure yours are not. Uh, but they happen. Where in the world am I going with all of this? Basically, the sermon this morning, I want us to look at hate and forgiveness. Let's, let's look at Luke 22. Would you? Okay. Luke 22. I'd like to begin with verse 47, and then I'll refer to this uh, again later in verse, various verses. Now, what has happened? Uh, Jesus' prayer on the Mount of Olives has already occurred. The disciples have been sleeping. 
uh, and Jesus is in, told them that, you know, you better watch out. You're going you're to fall into temptation. That's where we begin in verse 47. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Now that passage is a wonderful insight into the relationships with the outside, those who are not a part of the inner group. See, the 11 disciples were willing even anxious to do anything they could to defend their Lord. The twelfth had already made his choice, and he wasn't going to be a part of that. He was going to be a part of something else. And, of course, we know the story of the betrayal. If all else fails, if all the teaching fails, all of the miracles have failed. If everything has happened, everyone's going to get against them. Shouldn't we draw the sword? They were so sure of the correct answer that they didn't even wait for Jesus' response. Notice that verse 50. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. Do you know all four Gospels include this story? Now, only John tells us what his name was. Uh, tells us about Peter, but he also mentions that the servant's name was Malchus. Luke, the doctor, carefully notes that it was his right ear. He noticed things like that. I got a question. I mean, I, I make a statement. If I was in Jesus' place, I don't know whether I would have healed Malchus or not. If nothing else, I believe I would have taken that ear and put it on upside down. <laughs> because, see, this guy meant business. He was here for an arrest, and he was an enemy of Jesus. People with power have a terrific responsibility. And power can easily corrupt. Politicians know this. 
Look at the Caesars. Look at dictators. Petty little politicians. Small town tyrants. But it doesn't have to be that way. When someone exercises power over us, and maybe in a bad way, are we able to forgive? Now picture with me for a moment this scenario. Just suppose Jesus had not healed Malchus, okay? Hey, fellow, what happened to your ear? Everywhere he went, people are going to ask, why is that fellow doesn't have an ear? It's going to be a statement. There wouldn't be no escaping the symbol of violence. Now, every family, I'm sure, has stories that you love to tell. Uh, I know in genealogy I love that as a hobby, and there's always those little skeletons in the closet that you find, and, you know, they make interesting story. I found out recently in one of our families we had one that fought for the north and one fought for the south. Two brothers, just two years difference in their ages. Uh, the one that fought for the south had seven siblings, only thing was, his first wife died. She probably wore out. I mean, seven kids. But what does he do? Get married and have seven more kids. And where does he move? To Indiana, where his brother was that fought for the North. I don't understand that one. In our family, we've got an interesting little story. I like to talk about Alma Jean's family. Um, there was a distant relative of Alma Jean's, and they had a little bit of controversy. And so two fellows got so angry and fighting with each other that one of the fellows, and they're tugging and wrestling and got down, he bit off part of the ear. And so Mr. Townsend always walked around with about half an ear, and oh, what happened to your ear? You know, you don't get away from the story. It's always there. So what about Malchus? No ear? Everybody's going to ask, and he would have had to answer one of the followers of Jesus did this. See, Jesus didn't come to lead a rebellion. Notice in verse 52, he didn't do it with, it's not to be with swords and clubs. His kingdom was not of this world. In the world, but not like world kingdoms. The church is not another political entity. The church is different. And we stand out because we are different. We have a king. And we have someone who watches over us. But, but Jesus did heal Malchus. Now that's, the, that's important for us to understand. He taught us compassion for an enemy. He not only told us to love our enemies, Jesus loved his enemies. He did it. He did it on the cross, at the judgment, you'll do it. In the garden, he did it. 
His first miracle was for a stranger. His last miracle was for an enemy. His last recorded prayer was for his enemies. He demonstrated compassion for one's friend. Now, that is so important, and we understand that. He didn't lecture Peter about the proper way to do that. Now, Peter, that's just not the way to do it. What did he do? He just healed Malchus. And Jesus could easily have turned and told Peter, Peter, can't you do anything right? You almost missed him altogether. (laughs) Simon, you dummy. For three years I've been telling you I must go to the cross. I have told you my kingdom is not of this world. Can't you understand anything Instead, Jesus said, what? No more of this. It's in verse 51. No more of this. And he healed Malchus. In this way, Jesus taught us how to forgive our friends. I've heard some people be more vicious towards friends than they could ever be towards enemies. In fact, sometimes maybe that's harder to do, is to forgive a friend, than it is to forgive an enemy. You know, we expect a lot from our friends, and when our friends disappoint us, it is hard to take. It's easy to forget how we disappoint them, but not the other way around, is it? How about our disappointing God? Now, you've never had to struggle with that, have you? Ha, ha. Haven't we at times disappointed God? Now, the way of Jesus was truth. And Jesus takes things into hand. Notice in verse 51, Jesus answered. No more sword. Verse 51, no more of this. See, the defense of Jesus was the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now listen understand this. Jesus answered. See, truth is its own defense. It does not need the sword of violence. It does not need hateful words. It does not need the assassination of character. It does not need the destruction of other people. It does not need looking down the nose to someone we consider less than ourselves. See, violence is not part of the work of the kingdom. Jesus would not resort to violence to advance truth. And he knows what's coming. See, violence is self-defeating. 
When Jesus stooped to pick up the ear of Malchus, he wanted all to understand that violence was not the way. As a matter of fact, Jesus had to reverse Peter's action because it compromised the cause of the kingdom. Before Pilate, Jesus would later say, and this is in John, the 18th chapter, in verse 36, dealing with the same scene, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight. But Jesus is saying it's not. He could never say this if he had not healed the servant's ear. Peter's act of force, as much as that was a sign of bravery or not, actually compromised the truth. Truth not only doesn't need force for its support, but folks, it will defeat it every time. Not in the moment, but it will. The power of the truth itself is traded for the power of the sword. Truth is its own force. It is defeated when it calls upon violence. Now let me tell you something. That's not just in our adult everyday world. That's teens in high school. That's children in elementary school. And it occurs again and again. If I tell a lie and then chop off the head of someone that accuses me, does it change anything? See, whether I am a liar or not, my words still stand as true or false whether my accuser is beheaded or not. See, violence clouds the issue. Peter's use of the sword obligated Jesus to reverse the wrong. That's why in verse 51 he says, No more of this. Enough is enough. If there is no cross, there can be no crown. And sometimes we have to suffer. Sometimes we have to be looked at as wrong. Sometimes we have to be belittled because we stand for truth. But truth will win. You know, in our daily life, we face a crossroad each day. And we have to choose over and over and over again the way of the cross or the way of the sword. How are you doing 
How am I doing? How are you doing? Does your lifestyle speak violence? Or does it speak peace? Because, see, our words say so much about us. Perhaps no greater allegiance is pledged than that day we stood before the world and proclaimed. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. See, those words so impressed the early church that they called it the Great Confession. Because they recognized when some people said that word, that alienated them even with their government. In fact, sometimes it was a death notice when they said it. Because if they could not worship the emperor, then they would be taken out of this world by violence. It was called an oath of allegiance. And they died for it. They died for it. Do we understand the early church, when they made statements like that, it wasn't just a nice thing to do and parents get thrilled about their children being baptized because it's a nice little act to go through. Do we understand that as adults, that sometimes that's nice because it brings the family together? Now, all those things are true and good and nice. But they were stating their allegiance to the king of kings, even if it meant death. Will you live for him today?